There we go. That's better. We're going to read together from Hebrews chapter 10. If you have a copy of the Word of God, we're reading in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and we're going to read from the 19th verse. This is the Word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Let's pray. Father, is there a better line in a hymn than Lord and honor to you, Lord and honor to the Son, Lord and honor to the Spirit, ever three and ever one. You are indeed the great, immortal, invisible God who rules supreme. We gather before you We extol your name. We pray now that you would come and speak to us through your word. We bless you and we praise you for your covenant faithfulness toward us in Jesus Christ, who is indeed our prophet, our priest, and our king. We ask now that your spirit would minister your word to our hearts, encourage us, in our faith, continue to grant us the grace that we need to love you and delight in you, to serve you and to be devoted to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a joy to see the Lord add to his church. His extravagant grace and his abundant mercy reach into the lives of all sorts of people to bring them out of the darkness of sin and into the marvelous light of his great kingdom. Tonight, and Lord willing, next week, we're going to hear testimonies from those who have experienced grace, for those who have tasted the mercy of of God. They are at last going to be formally covenanting with us as members. And to help us tonight, I thought I would take up by way of a devotional, not a full-blown sermon, this text in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The letter to the Hebrews is one of my favorite letters in all of the New Testament. It's full of important instruction for us about the superiority of Jesus Christ and the new covenant economy in contrast with Moses and the old covenant economy. It's a book that is designed to set before us the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and to encourage us to look to Him and persevere on in our faith. We all know that it was primarily written to Hebrew Christians. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews. Hebrew Christians, first century Jewish believers primarily, tempted to do what? To turn back from the glory of the new covenant to the less glory of the old covenant so that they might relate to God, so that they might walk with God. The great Puritan John Owen has written a seven-volume commentary on Hebrews. 
It really is one of the great works of his life. It remains unsurpassed to this day. The introduction alone is jammed with so much truth that you could make several theological classes out of that introduction. You would do well, and I would do well, to spend time reading the book of Hebrews, studying the book of Hebrews, meditating upon the book of Hebrews, and living according to its teaching. Tonight, I just simply want to draw your attention to these few verses in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to lay out for you two simple truths. I want us to think for a few moments, firstly, about the grounds of our access to and acceptance with God. The grounds to accessing God and having acceptance with Him. And then I want us to consider briefly the duties that arise from our access to God and our acceptance with Him. For I think it is these two simple truths that are contained here in this particular portion of this epistle. So let's think for a few moments, first of all, on the grounds of our access to and acceptance with God. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, when you see that word therefore, it's therefore a reason. You look back to what came before. Therefore, brothers, in the light of all I've been saying regarding Christ and his life and his death and his priestly function, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us. And then he has three duties for us to consider. We have here in the first part of our text the grounds of our access to God, and our acceptance with God. Ever since the rebellion of our first parents, and their exclusion from fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, the issue of mankind's access to God and acceptance with God has been the greatest issue for the human race. Even to this very point in human existence. Our sins prevent us from having access to God and enjoying acceptance with God. By nature, we are rebels. By nature, we are enemies of God. By nature, we do not have access to God, nor acceptance with God. And unless God does something, we never will. And we will perish. And we will be lost. But thankfully, God has done what is needed. Thankfully, God has stepped in. And we see here in verse, 20, verse 19 and 20 just how he has done this. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we now can have access to God, and we can now enjoy acceptance with God. And, and how is this? What is it that God has Done. Well, let's think for a moment on our access to God. From the very fall itself, God began to reveal to man he would step in. Here he reveals to man that he has a purpose. And he tells uh, Adam and Eve as he condemns the devil in Genesis 3.15 that there will come a time when the seed of the woman, Eve, will crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. John Calvin calls this the proto-evangelium, the first gospel declaration. 
For what does it speak to us of? Jesus. Speaks to us of Jesus. Speaks to us of Jesus coming into the world. And this promise, it's fleshed out in the Old Testament. It comes in fuller clarity to Abraham, who is told that his seed will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. We see then as God in his purpose to Abraham establishes the nation of Israel through the leadership of Moses that God protects his promise with what we call the old covenant system of law and sacrifice. It's further elaborated to David, the great king of Israel in 2 Samuel 7. And then, of course, we see then that this God who has promised to give man access, to give man acceptance with him through his Son, actually fulfills the promise in the coming of Jesus into the world. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh to give us access to and acceptance with God. And this is what the letter to the Hebrews is really all about. To tell these Hebrew believers that they no longer have to go up to a tabernacle or a temple and no longer have to kill the goats or the lambs or the sheep and no longer have to have uh, priests who are imperfect to represent them in the presence of God. No, God has come. And God has put an end to sin. And God in Christ has made access for man to come to God. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is referring to here when he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us then, and he goes on to give us the duties. The, the writer to the Hebrews is reminding his readers of all that he has spoken of in the previous part of the letter regarding his new covenant regarding the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, who is to us a great high priest. And what does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifice. A priest prays. And these are the two important parts of Christ's priestly function, you see. He offers sacrifice through his perfect life and his sacrificial death. He rises from the dead. He ascends into glory, where then he takes up his responsibilities as our advocate with God, where he is right now, functioning as our intercessor. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews wants these Hebrew Christians to understand. That is far more superior than an earthly priest who's going into an earthly temple to offer up an earthly sacrifice, which, by the way, could never atone for sin, only point to the atonement for sin— which is Jesus himself. And so the grounds of our access to God are found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Christ is the grounds of our access to God. Christ in his life, Christ in his death, Christ in his resurrection, Christ in his ascension, Christ in his high priestly session. And these Hebrew Christians, they were struggling to really get a grasp of that. Why? Because they were used to the visible, right? They were used to the visible temple. They were used to the visible priest. They were used to the visible sacrifice. Now it's all hidden from them, right? Because Jesus has gone into heaven. And now they have to get used to the fact there's no smells, right? There's no blood to see. The blood has been shed. Jesus is hidden in glory, but they must look to him by faith. And so their access to God is only by believing in Jesus 
and Jesus alone. Why? Because he is, our accept, he is the grounds of our acceptance with God. What is it that Jesus has done so that we might have acceptance with God? He's lived the perfect life of righteousness that we could not live because of sin. He has died the sacrificial death for us as our substitute to make atonement for sin that we might be pardoned for our sin. He has risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, where he now functions before God as our great high priest, representing us before the Father and securing for us then even an audience with God. It's Christ, Christ alone, who is our access to God, our acceptance with God. In his living, in his dying, in his rising and ascending to heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ secures not only access to God, but acceptance with God. We are accepted tonight by God when we believe in Christ because Christ has done all that is needed for us to be right with God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And so how much better is the new covenant? Than the old covenant? Well, the old covenant was simply preparatory, preparing the way for the new covenant. The old covenant was the meandering toward God through the system that God had given in order for the people of Israel to see what was going to happen with their Messiah coming. But notice how the writer to the Hebrews describes it here. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it very well. He says, God has built a freeway into the presence of God that we do not have to meander in the back roads anymore. Who is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He is the living, the new and the living way. How wonderful is our Savior. How glorious is God's way. Our access to and our acceptance with God is completely and utterly founded in, grounded upon Christ. Jesus is enough for you to have access to God and for you to be accepted by God. Will you believe in Him? Will you trust in Him? Are you believing in Him? Are you trusting in Him? You see, being a Christian means that you trust in Christ alone for access to God and acceptance with God. You don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in your own law-keeping. You don't trust in your own good efforts. You don't trust in some kind of religious system. Christ and Christ alone. We rest in Him who has gained us access because of who He is and has gained us acceptance because of what He has done. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, how wonderful it is to be a Christian tonight. To know that God invites us into his presence to enjoy him. That God accepts us on the grounds of a life we did not live and a death we did not die. This is the blessing of grace that the writer to the Hebrews lays out for us here in our text. That brings us to consider, secondly, the duties that arise from our access. And I quickly just want to point out three duties that arise from our access to and our acceptance with God. We have them recorded really in verses 21 through 25. You see, all those who enjoy access to God and acceptance with God through Christ, they are true Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, If you say, well, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who by faith is believing in Jesus and as a result has access to God and acceptance with God. Being a true Christian not only bestows then upon us the blessings of grace, but it brings to us responsibilities by grace. And so what does the writer to the Hebrews speak to here? Three duties that arise from this blessing, or these blessings of having access to God and acceptance with God. And notice how he puts it. In the light of this access, in the light of this acceptance that we enjoy, what does he say? He tells us that we are to be those who first and foremost draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
The first responsibility that comes upon us in this text is the responsibility of worship. Worship. Right? We are, because of Christ, worshipers of God. This idea of drawing near to God is taken from the Old Testament. Idea of approaching God. These Hebrew believers would have understood this. Just as the saints of old went up to the tabernacle, the, ta- the temple, the altar to draw near to God, we now can draw near to God in heaven through His Son. And this is what we desire to do. This is what we pursue because we have access to God and because we are accepted by God. And notice the qualification for true worship that is mentioned here. I think this is encouraging for us. Let us draw near with a true heart. Not a perfect heart. Right? You haven't got a sinless heart tonight, have you? None of us are coming to worship the Lord with sinless hearts, but we're coming to worship Him with true hearts, with sincerity of heart. As we look to Jesus, uh, the, the grounds of our access, the grounds of our acceptance, now we come with sincerity, true hearts. And we are called here to have a particular disposition, full assurance of faith. Now, this is a challenge for some believers. Some of you know this, and some of you I talked to about this, the issue of full assurance of faith. God wants you to have full assurance of faith. We're called to have full assurance of faith. But if the truth be told, there are times, some of us, we will find that we struggle to have full assurance of faith. But this is the heart of God for us, that you have full assurance of faith. What does it mean to have full assurance of faith? That you're, you're fully persuaded and you're not doubting that you have access to God, that you have acceptance with God because Jesus has paid it all. And the preparation for this true worship is then expressed in verse 23. We have hearts that are sprinkled to cleanse from a guilty conscience. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience is how the ESV has put it and our bodies washed with pure water. I think that's a reference, I believe, to the work of the Spirit in our minds, in our souls. There was a time that we had evil consciences and we only did evil continually. But when grace gives us life, then our, the mind of Christ becomes ours. Then we are delivered from this evil conscience. Our bodies are washed with pure water. There's some who think that's baptism. I think it's just simply another way of saying the work of regenerating grace in our lives that, that transforms us. Grace, through the work of the Spirit, brings us into this union with Christ. You are a Christian because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Unseen, unheard, but exceptionally effective in making you new creation. Definitively, you are brought out of an evil conscience, uh, and definitively, you are uh, the power of sin is broken, that you might then walk in righteousness. But then you know, don't you, that there's a progression then that take, begins to take place. You're not made exactly like Jesus when you become a Christian. There's work to be done. The work of the Spirit as you put off sin and put on righteousness. But oh, there's no going back. There's no going back to that old life anymore. You can't be unborn again by the Spirit of God once you are born again. There is a definitive and progressive aspect for sure that causes you then to continue to rest in Christ as a worshiper of God. Notice then, secondly, there is then also, not only the element or the responsibility of worship, but there's a responsibility of faithfulness. Let us hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is a very pivotal text in the, writing, in the letter to the Hebrews. Why? Because in many ways it drives home right to the heart of the struggle that these Hebrew Christians were having. What was the struggle? The struggle was to hold fast the confession of their hope without wavering. The old covenant's passed away. The new covenant has come. The old system has been abolished. The new system of, of, of approaching God has come. And, and these believers in the, at this time are, are working through this transition, transitional reality. For us, all these years later, it can be difficult to understand what that must have been like. But for us, we see here, don't we then, there is this responsibility that 
is faithfulness, perseverance in the things of God. I like how our text puts it. Let us hold fast the confession of faith without wavering. Another translation puts it this way, unswervingly. Right? We don't swerve. We stay straight toward glory as Christians. You see, when you have access to God, when you have acceptance with God through Jesus Christ, you're called to persevere then in trusting Jesus Christ. And all of us know, don't we, there are times that can be tested. (laughs) We all know very well that that can be hard. But here the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging us to our duty to stay the course, to persevere. We're going to hear some tonight who are going to give a confession of their hope in Jesus Christ. They're going to covenant with us. We're going to covenant with them. We are to encourage them to continue to do this without wavering. And we are there to continue to help us to do it without wavering. And that's why a covenant community is so important, as we'll see in a moment. But here we're reminded in our text that we can trust God because He is a faithful God. Notice, for He who promised is faithful. Even in our best days, we can be an unfaithful bunch, can't we? He's never unfaithful. He's always true. He's always reliable. His promises never fail. So we must be faithful to Him as we trust His promises, not swerving from trusting in Christ who gives us access and acceptance with God. Could be tonight that you've been tempted to give up the Christian faith. Could be tonight that because of the circumstances of life that are just difficult, you're thinking, what's the point? Oh, my dear brother, my dear sister, listen, you have access to God. You have acceptance with God. Do not swerve out of the way. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. and He will bring you through the challenges that you face. Brings us to the last and final point as I lay it up for us as we come to the testimonies. The responsibility of community. The responsibility of community. Look at verses 24 and 25. Let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This third and final responsibility mentioned for us is that of community, relating to one another in the covenant community of God's people. What is it to be, and uh, what is it to outwork in our lives, uh, be, being a true worshiper of God, possessing a true faith, profession of faith in Christ that we do not uh, give up? It is to be in community with one another. God doesn't ask us to be Lone Ranger Christians. Actually, the very opposite. He calls us to be in community with each other. A life transformed by grace will be a life lived out in covenant community with other Christians. We may not always like each other, but we're caused to love each other. And we've got to, we're caused to continue to go again with each other, to grow together. This is the focus of verses 24 and 25. Here we see why church cannot be done online. Here we see why virtual church is not what God intends. I had an uh, email this week encouraging me to develop virtual church. I nearly choked. That's what we're not wanting to encourage, virtual church. We want real church. Right? That's what we need. That's what God assumes. That's what God has ordained. Living in fellowship with other Christians and gathering with them to worship and confessing Christ is what God has intended for us that we might grow into conformity to His Son. And what's What's involved? Well, it tells us in the text. It summarizes it for us very well. You could actually say that the, 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 the summary here is, uh, this is a summary of our church covenant. I'm not going to quote your church covenant tonight. We're going to do that soon when uh, all the members formally commit that are joining us. But listen, here we see why church cannot be done online. Here we see why virtual church is not what God intends. We're to show consideration for one another. We're to provoke one another to love and good works. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
as is the manner of some, indicates that, hey, first century issues, 21st century issues, they're really the same. There were people who were not gathering. Tonight, we hear the testimony of five saints who want to covenant with us into our community. Are we going to show them consideration? Are we going to provoke them, as the text tells us here, uh, to stir one another up to love and good works? Are they going to do that for us? That's what being part of the church is all about, right? This is not just some kind of religious club that we're joining in some kind of perfunctory way. This is the family of God. This is the household of faith. This is the body of Christ. We should be challenging ourselves to ask ourselves, uh, are we provoking one another to love and good works? Now, you know as well as I do that in these recent times, this has not been an easy thing. But here's the point, brothers and sisters. Irrespective of how hard it might be, this is our duty as those who have access to God, as those who have acceptance with God. This is what the writer to the Hebrews is calling the saints to in the first century and what Christ is calling us through this passage to in the 21st century. And notice a very important thing. As you see the day drawing near, what does an eternal perspective look like? i tell you what it looks like. Gathering for worship worshipping the Lord, holding fast to our confession of faith, and stirring one another up to good works. That's what it looks like. A healthy eschatology is not let go and let God, is not stand with your your hands in your pockets and wait for Jesus to appear. A healthy eschatology produces a healthy ecclesiology. We know there's a day coming, but until that day, We who have access to God, who have acceptance with God, are to be worshippers of God, are to hold unswervingly to our confession of faith in the Lord, and are to live in faithful community with one another, encouraging one another, not neglecting to meet together. Now, I hear people say, well, I feel a bit disconnected from church. But then you ask them, well, how often do you come to church? Well, now and again. When you ask yourself a few did that in your marriage, could you feel a bit disconnected in your marriage? (laughs) She turned up at work once in a while, notwithstanding the fact that many are working at home right now, but the reality is, would you feel a bit disconnected if you were erratic at best in your turning up? Well, of course. That's why the writer to the Hebrews is saying to us, don't forsake gathering together. Why? Because covenant community is the context in which you're meant to live out your Christian life. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, Committing to a local church is the outworking of your access to God and your acceptance with God. And those of you who are going to be committing to Emmanuel in these next few weeks, you are following the Word of God. You're obeying the Word of God. And you will be in a context where then you will have opportunity to do all of these things. And we will have opportunity to do all of these things with you. This is what it means to be a Christian. The idea that you can be a Christian and wander the earth on your own is found nowhere in the New Testament. And so, brothers and sisters, we must be committed wholeheartedly to our covenant community. So I want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage you to rejoice in the access that you have to God because of Jesus. Not only when you gather, but when you go home. doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Christ, you have access to God. You have acceptance with God. Why? Not because of anything good you do, but all the good that Jesus has done. His life, his death, his resurrection. And even now, he prays for you. The right hand of the Father. Spend some time thinking about that. What is Jesus doing right now? Representing us in the courts of heaven before the Father as our Lord and king. What an amazing reality for us to dwell upon. And as you appropriate the reality of your access to God and your acceptance with God in Jesus Christ, recognize then that it brings upon you the responsibility to be a worshiper of God, responsibility of being faithful in your confession of faith in Christ, of being part of a covenant community of his people. 
Hearing the testimony of other believers is always a blessing. As we proceed to that in a few minutes, I want us to do so with these words in our hearts and minds tonight. We're here because of Christ. It's Christ that binds us together. It's Christ that unites us. We're all very different. And yet in Christ, we are one. And this is a glorious reality for us. Through Christ, in Christ alone, we become true worshippers of God. We're called to have an immovable trust in Him. We're called to live in covenant community together so that He might be glorified. May God bless these truths to our hearts this evening as we come now in a few moments to hear testimony. We're not going to sing that third hymn. We are going to pray. And then I'm going to ask, Vadim, are we moving this into the middle? That's great. I'll ask Vadim to do that. And then the folks know their order, but let me just remind you, Lance, then Jared, and Maria, and Frankie, and then Maria. Okay, that's your order for your testimonies. Let's pray together. Father, how good it is to spend some time thinking upon your Son. How wonderful it is to consider that we have access to you because of your Son. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for his ascension into glory and his high priestly session. And we bless you that one day he will come again for us. Until then, Father, may we be a people who grow in our sincere worship of your name. May we maintain an unswerving confession of Christ in our lives as we trust you as the faithful God whose promises are yea and amen to us in Christ. And may you continue to build us up as a covenant community in this place, even as we hear the testimonies of these dear saints tonight. May it be, Father, that as they join us, as we covenant with them, that, O Lord, that will be a means to their ongoing growth in grace and to the ongoing glorifying of your Son, in our midst, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Lance, you are first. First, I want to say thank you. It is such a blessing that we can all be here again. And I love seeing everyone's faces. I think some of you know me. <laughs> uh, my name is Lance Chu, and this is my testimony. So I had first heard about the gospel as a child in Sunday school um, when my father would bring my brother and I to church um, at the time, I knew little except for the bits and pieces of stories that we all learned as children, including those of Moses, David, etc., informing a general but disconnected understanding of how the Bible was all related. Um, usually, this was taught through song and rhymes um, and even coloring activities, but it wasn't until years later in high school that a friend showed a genuine concern for the salvation of my own soul, and it sparked in me a renewed involvement in the church. And eventually, it in, uh, she invited me to learn more at the church, and at the time, I had little support on my journey to becoming a Christian, but I believe that the seed had been planted in my heart. By college, most of my friends had moved away, um, or they were starting families of their own. And left to my own devices, I continued to attend this church that I was introduced to years before. But I began to see that the ways of the people and sermon messages that left me wanting more, but I didn't know what or why. Though the friends that I had initially connected with me, or that had connected with me at the church, were well-intentioned, I quickly realized that I was not being fed. We come for the worship music. This was commonplace within this congregation and Christian living values were often the topic of weekly sermons. I came away sensing that something was somehow missing, that the very spiritual essence and its fruits 
were not there, and I kept asking myself, if this is Christianity, why does it feel like it's missing the story of Christ? I'm certain there were true believers there, and most were good people, performing honorable works in the community and in the world at large. But if being a good person and donating money to a noble cause were all that were necessary to gain favor with God, what made this any different from a good person of any other religion or even an atheist? After graduating college, I spent uh, the next couple of years visiting various churches in the Santa Barbara area and found much of the same formulaic, feelings-based megachurches. And this would eventually lead me to stop attending church altogether. At this time, I felt lost. Um, It wasn't until I moved back to Sacramento and uh, the same friend that introduced me to the church so many years ago got in touch with me once again, which is incredible because of how much time had gone by. She asked if I had found a new church and extended an invitation to visit the church she and her husband attend. Her prayers and encouragement uh, to become part of the church inspired me to find new teaching once again. I visited a couple of other churches before finally being introduced to IBC by Oksana. That was when my eyes had been opened. Over a year ago, I attended my first service at IBC, and now this is more than just a year. And I knew immediately that it was different from anywhere I had ever been before. There were, were there professional musicians and multi-million dollar audio systems? No. <laughs> were my emotions uh, being stirred by advanced lighting control systems or high resolution projectors? Also no. What IBC had to offer was far more important than any man-made um, creation. And that was exactly what I had been looking for. It was the nurturing uh, of my soul through biblically sound teaching and a congregation that I genuinely felt had been inspired by God. After my first visit, I left feeling encouraged, convicted, and most importantly, desiring God. Over the course of the next year, I left the volunteer position I held at Bayside Church and dedicated my Sundays to the morning and evening services here at IBC. I participated in a one-on-one discipleship with Vadim and finally came to know what it means to believe in the gospel, and my eyes were open to the reality of why Jesus is the most important person in my life, now and forever. Though I had previously um, identified as a Christian by association, And culturally, for the first time in my life, I could unquestionably profess to believe Jesus as my Lord and Savior, thanks to the teachings and support that I've that I've received here at IBC. After I read the confession and attended the membership matters class, I now understand the importance of church membership, baptism, communion, and the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading. By God's sovereign will, I'd been saved from the wretched and lost life I was leading before Christ and now seek to know God more and what it means to live by the faith. My desire to become a member is to publicly affirm my belief as a Christian, as well as to serve the church and its other members. I've received so much, and I desire to give back, as well as to, or, to give back and serve those that have loved me even when I didn't even really know who I was. Since attending IBC, I've participated as a volunteer at the Gospel Conference, and I've assisted the CAFE teams, and I wish to do so much more. The Gospel for me, as I understand it, is that we all live from the very conception of our existence in a state of enmity with God, who is all-perfect and all-loving, but unwaveringly righteous. According to God's plan, man was to live in perfect harmony with God and obey his commands. But man in his rebellion failed to live up to God's requirements, and because of the fallen state and life of sin that we are born into, the justice we are destined to serve must be paid upon our death. 
But God, because of the love, or because of his love, sent his one and only son as a redemption and savior um, for the souls of all mankind that believe and live in the faith of Christ as their Lord and Savior. In paying the just price for our sins, which the sentence is death and eternal punishment, his blood upon the cross satisfied God's righteousness. And in the perfect life he walked among men, Jesus imputed his righteousness upon those that follow and believe in him faithfully. Having defeated death in his resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and in turn seats us also with him in heaven, clothed in Christ's righteousness. The one passage that actually resonates the most with me is from Vadim's actual service um, close to about a year ago. And it's from Ephesians 2. Um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the, desi er, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And this is the turning point, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Or actually, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace, uh, of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For me, this actually has particular res resonance um, with my own life, largely because of the fact that I came to recognize that even as good of a life as you can lead, you are no better than the worst. Or if you had the worst life, you're no better than the best. We've all fallen. And that is my testimony. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Oh, hi, everyone. My name is Jared Norris, and this is my testimony. I grew up in church, attending with my family. Uh, I attended Sunday school and grew up in a Christian home. Uh, attending Sunday school and growing up in a Christian home taught me the importance of prayer, giving with a cheerful heart, showing love to others, and that Jesus loved me enough to die for my sins. As I got older, I started to focus more on how I was perceived by those around me rather than on addressing the fact that I was a sinner. I overlooked the fact that it was only by God's grace that I could be saved. Temptations became more and more abundant to me as I entered my teenage years. I began to repeatedly and secretly sin, fearful not of disobeying God, but of being caught by man. Instead of recognizing a need for accountability, I thought it better to try to hide my sin for the sake of my image. However, one day while reading Romans 1.25, God's Spirit moved me to repent and to seek accountability from other Christians. It was then that I finally understood what, an, what a truly amazing fact it is that God could send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. God had never abandoned me despite my disobedience. And I'm incredibly grateful for his mercy and grace. 
Since then, God has guided me to this church that has shown me the importance of fellowship and membership. IBC has been a great place to grow spiritually, as the congregation has welcomed me with open arms and the pastors preach gospel-centered sermons. I hadn't experienced that before, and I'm extremely grateful that God has shown me this. Thank you for your time. Hello, my name is Masha. Um, this is my testimony. The first time I heard the gospel, sadly, wasn't from the pulpit of the church, but through one of my friends who introduced me to R.C. Sproul and his teachings. I've never heard anything like him before. He was preaching about Christ and him crucified, about so many things that I've never thought of. I don't remember the exact day, but after listening to one of the sermons at home, I was reading the Bible, and it hit me hard. All the sins and the all the sins and the life on righteousness that I lived was leading me to death. And salvation was in the one who came down and lived perfectly to die for his people. I remember an evening of repentance, tears, and a weight being lifted. A new heart has been given to me. From then on, my life changed. I wanted to study the word, serve, and turn away from the life I lived before. Because now I knew the one who loved me so much that he came and died for me. Of a father I never had and I never thought could love me. As I continued to grow and listen to a lot of sermons by men like R.C. and others, I began to love reading books that helped me to understand the Bible more clearly. I never liked reading before. And books on growing in the faith. After reading... And listening, I realized I needed to get baptized and join the church and serve others and help others to see his glorious grace that has been given to me. In the short time that I've been a Christian, I tried to grow my, on my own mostly by listening to sermons and reading books because the Russian sh church didn't have any, any preaching like these. I started studying theology and took Bible school classes where we studied mostly systematic theology and history. Learning a little made me realize how much I don't know, and there is an endless amount of beauty in digging deeper into the word of God. Now the gospel is much more to me than I, when I first believed, because now there is more information and, and more to learn about the Lord than I had thought I could, I could ever be possible. Knowing that, and there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Loving God and others, resting upon that I am the sheep of my Lord and Savior, learning what kind of person to be when Jesus talks about the Beatitudes, and always trying to pursue that. Also, to spread the good news to all people everywhere, which, was, which has been an example to me. One of my favorite study um, and go back to the book of Romans because Paul been amazing on the redemption of Christ and the works and where we are and we can't and what we can't do. Not to be ashamed of the salvation that has been given to us, but to proclaim it with boldness. This book has been, to me, a better understanding of theological concepts. Also in the Old Testament, books like Job has always been a restful state that no matter what others say, if the Lord is with you, there is no power that can take you from the protection of God. And the steadfastness of Job is always a great encouragement to endure the to the end. Also learning from the books like Psalms and Proverbs has been helpful in my growth and reading and reading the law books. Since I became a Christian, there has been no doubt hard times, a lot of learning and growth. My friends and I, um, my friends that I have lost and new friends that I've made that are now family in Christ. Sin that I've never knew I had before shown to me and a battle that needs to be fought again and every day. Knowing that I rest on the promises of God, 
live by his power in me and to serve him and others in the church and around the world is a glorious life that will never be wasted, whether here in America or on the other side of the world. I don't think I'll ever forget the first time I came to IBC and how Pastor Steve was preaching on the end of Colossians. It was an informative and encouraging and rebuking at the same time, and I thought I needed to come back and hear more. I love the hymns that we sang and the people that didn't look like you didn't belong but said hello and asked questions. It made me feel welcome. I understand the church isn't perfect and there's always struggles and problems, but people who want to love one another, even though it's difficult, who hold to the Bible-based confession and, and that want to preach the word of God and truth is a place where I want to grow with the people that want the same things. I want to be shepherded and discipled, which is something I never got before. I want to grow in holiness and serve for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Thank you. Hello, I'm Francisco, or Frankie, and this is my testimony. I grew up going to Catholic school from kindergarten through fourth grade. Though I was taught in Catholicism, I never embraced it. Instead, I greatly ignored it and embraced secular childhood, such as childhood programming at the time. During my teenage years, I would occasionally spend time with relatives in Manteca who went to church every Sunday. When I was 19, I was talking with my little cousin, who was eight at the time, and she told me very emphatically that I needed to go to church. I had no idea how right she was. Fast forward to a little over a year later. My grandfather and I were supposed to go to Berkeley one Saturday, but the people we were visiting had to reschedule. Come to find out, a shootout had occurred at an intersection my grandfather and I always passed when we would be in that area. That made me reevaluate some things in my life, and I made some changes, but still hadn't come to Christ. Finally, around a month later, it happened. I was about to go for a walk around the neighborhood, which I was regularly doing at the time, when my grandfather asked me to sit down. He had just received a call from my mother who, would, who informed him that a close friend of hers, whom I also knew, was shot and killed the night before. After he told me and I left to go for my walk, I almost immediately prayed to God. I don't remember exact words, but I do know that my life was instantly changed forever. The change in my visible life didn't happen at that moment, but for this reason, this because, this, the reason for this is because I didn't share share it with anyone and no one to guide me in this new life I had been given. But I was starting to realize things in my life that I needed to get rid of and stop doing, feeling conviction in my spirit. And it was happening more and more as time went on. And then I finally had a Bible in my possession in 2011 from my mother. I was so excited and in reading it, I began to know God better and better. I don't know when it was exactly but I do know I came to faith in Christ while reading his word. In January of the next year, watching a sermon by a televangelist, I heard him say something that hit me hard. Not going to church is a sin. Conviction caught me immediately, and I started looking for a church. I started going to a church that, looking back, is not a good church to be in. But I met someone there who was like a big brother to me and started guiding me in my walk. My understanding of the gospel could be summarized in what has been known as the Romans Road, starting with Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It continues in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As a result of Adam's eating of the fruit in the Garden of Eden, he as our federal head and representative of the entire human race brought sin into the world, which has affected every human being since then. The first part of Romans 6.23 states, for the wages of sin is death, but as I have heard multiple times before, the next word in that verse, but, changes everything. Because that verse continues, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Going back to the fifth chapter of Romans, the eighth verse reads, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That shows how immensely deep God's grace and love is for us, that he doesn't leave us to die in our sins and perish forever. Going back to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is only through Christ, faith in him, that saves from God's wrath. It would be a lie for me to say that my life has been easier since becoming a Christian. I struggle with sin as every Christian does while we are on this earth. I sometimes stumble, but I know that I can never fully and finally fall away, not because of my hold on Christ, because I don't really have any at all, but because of Christ's hold on me. I am not who I used to be and no longer a slave to what held me in bondage and captivity the first 20 years of my life. With God's spirit as my guide, I can press on, growing in sanctification, with love for God and thankfulness for his grace and mercy never waning nor fading. I can always be joyful knowing that I belong to Christ and he is my shepherd who will lead me, care for me, and carry me forever and always. I received a book from, from the guy I mentioned earlier about John Calvin a few years ago. Up until this time, I was against predestination and theology in general. Upon reading this book, however, my whole life was turned upside down, and I was plunged into a new depth of understanding God's word, and ever since then, I have not wanted to stop learning more. I increased in becoming more reformed, and in my view, I am still continuing. And by God's grace, Emmanuel Baptist Church is, I believe, where that can happen. From the first day I attended IBC, I've experienced a renaissance in my walk, having been exposed to teaching, worship, and fellowship, the likes of which I've never experienced before. I want to be part of this church family because I feel it is the best congregation I've ever witnessed, and having never really had the kind of family experience I've always wanted, even just in regular normal life, I want it to be a reality and the best place possible. Now being a Christian, I am confident that there is no better family than the body of Christ. I hope to be a contributing member of a body that grows together as it grows in Christ, and Lord willing, God will use me to the benefit of the other members of the body for his glory. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> Hello, my name is Maria Gonzalez. I um, first came to understand the gospel late 2018. I was going through struggles in re my relationship, and I remembered seeking godly counsel instead of the counsel of the ungodly. I remember crying to Lynn one day and asking, why doesn't he love me? And Lynn responded, Jesus loves you. It didn't take long. It didn't take that long after to truly understand the extent of that love. A few, a few short days later, I was struggling with my father. I came to the only people I knew that could give me the godly counsel I needed, Lynn and Sheeman, my kids' grandparents. I spent the weekend with them. They spent the time sharing the gospel with me, reading God's word, and praying with me. When I left that Sunday after church, Lynn asked me if I would be okay. I remember having this feeling come over me, an overwhelming feeling of joy during a time when I should have been sad. I looked at Lynn in tears, and I said, I'll be okay because Jesus loves me, and I truly believed it. From then on, I started to attend church as often as I could. I started to read the word and started a Bible study in the Gospel of Mark. After starting my walk with Christ, my understanding of the gospel is that in the beginning there was God. He was not made, just was. God made man. He made man in his image. He loved man, but man disobeyed. Man sinned, which led to our spiritual death. In order for us to have communion with God, the sin needed to be addressed. The way to do that was Christ. Jesus, being God, was born a human to live the sinless life that we couldn't, and to then die on the cross to save us from the wrath of God that our sins deserve. Then he rose from the grave, defeating death and, and um, sealing the promise God made for, uh, from the beginning, that one day a child from Adam and Eve would save them from their spiritual death and regain their communion with God. I believe this all to be true. I believe that believing in what Christ has done for us, I am saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I know I am a sinner, and nothing I can do can make me good enough to be with God, my Creator. I know that anything I do is for the glory of my Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, in them. After becoming a Christian, I have felt more relief. I used to constantly feel like I had to figure things out. But as I grow in Christ, I am raising my hands up and taking comfort in knowing that my Lord is in control. He will never leave me nor forsake me. I always notice that I'm more aware of my sin. I have genuine sorrow when I do or say something wrong. I'm constantly praying for his forgiveness and asking him to keep working on me, which brings me to why I have a desire to join IBC. Since coming to IBC, I have learned a lot and know that becoming a member is not a choice. It's a necessity. God commands us to do it because we need to help each other. We need to keep each other um, accountable. I know especially as a new believer, this is important for the sake of my soul. I know especially as a new member that it is important, I'm sorry, coming to IBC has been a blessing. I'm grateful to get the opportunity to learn from my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm excited to contribute to that as well. Sweet to hear the grace of God and the lives of his people. Wonderful to hear all those testimonies tonight. Lord willing, we'll do it again next week. Let me just encourage you, if you don't know any of these dear saints, don't all come to them at once, of course, but over the next six months to a year, maybe have them over for a coffee or dinner or something, get to know them more.